The Orthodox Journey. In this edition of The Orthodox Journey, we reflect upon the Gospel reading on the Sunday before the Feast of the Finding of the Precious and Life-Giving Holy Cross, in which we celebrate the symbol of Christianity, the symbol of Christ's victory over death, and the weapon against all evil forces. We also commemorate our Saints of the Week, Saint Sophia and her three daughters. This is The Orthodox Journey. The Holy Gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John chapter 3, verse 16. Our church wisely places the gospel reading from which this verse is taken from this coming Sunday so that we can ponder on and reflect upon the infinite compassion, love and sacrifice that is contained in the mystery of the cross. Next Monday, the 14th of September, our church celebrates the elevation of the Holy Cross. The invitation to think upon these themes is very timely seeing that this year across the whole world, many people have been asked, even forced, to give up something that they love, to sacrifice something which they previously took for granted. People have been asked to leave their jobs, to close their businesses, to forego human contact with one another. It has affected all levels of society to one degree or another. Many of these freedoms and rights that have been taken from us are things that we as Orthodox Christians are usually thankful to God for. Now, during this time, some of us may have even silently expressed a desire, even a plea to God for these things to be returned so that a sense of normality may prevail. The freedom to travel where we wish, the freedom to congregate in whatever number and in whichever place we wish, the freedom to breathe the air without a mask covering our faces. But are all these things the limit of our human existence? Are we defined by these external characteristics and behaviours that appear to indicate how free we are or are not? By far the biggest challenge of the current situation is not dealing with what has been taken away from us, but 
the fact that we easily lose perspective on what this life is about, in agonizing over where we will be and what we will be doing tomorrow or next week or even next year. It is easy for us to lose sight of our eternal goal and destination. Because God the Father did not send his Son, also God, down to earth, so that we may have the freedom to travel as we wish, or to congregate and meet and embrace each other, and be in contact with each other without any hindrance. For many people also, during Christ's time on earth, this was a stumbling block, they expected physical freedom, freedom from oppression, freedom to act and do as they please. Christ did not enter Jerusalem sitting on a donkey to win these things for them or for us. His aim was the cross. In commenting on this Sunday's Gospel passage, St. John Chrysostom makes the following points contrasting the lifting up of the bronze serpent in the Old Testament with the lifting up of the Son of God on the cross in the New Testament. He says, I quote, In the Old Testament, the Jews avoided death, but only temporal death. With the cross, those who believe escape eternal death. In the Old Testament, the bronze serpent healed snake bites. In the New Testament, the crucified Christ healed the wounds of the spiritual dragon. In the Old Testament, whoever looked with their material eyes upon the serpent was healed. Now, whoever looks upon the cross with the eyes of the soul throws off all sins. End of quote. What use is temporary physical freedom if it means we have lost eternal and spiritual freedom? Now is the right time for us to contemplate what it is that God has given us. Let us just pause for one moment and marvel that God, who is eternal, who is without a cause, who is without beginning, whose majesty is boundless, loves us who are made from dirt and clay, who are laden with countless sins. Let us consider that God the Father, out of love, freely gave his Son, who emptied his own self to become human like us. St. John Chrysostom says that not even a father would show such willingness towards his own Son as God did towards us in giving his own Son. Evidently, it may seem impossible to show such love as that shown by God the Father. In any case, any attempt to do so on our behalf may be looked upon as an inadequate effort in repaying some sort of debt to God. But such a thing would be impossible for us as creations of God. 
For even if we were to give up our own life, how could that in any way compare with what God has done for us? We don't need to go to such measures though. Let us start with the simple things. Instead of feeling constrained, boxed in and restricted, let us thank God for what we have, even if it is little. If we can move beyond this, then let us be moved enough by the example of Christ on the cross by sacrificing even more, giving more of our time or more of our material wealth in an effort to help and assist and show our love for the living icons of God all around us. Maybe the most we can give is our own peace of heart and faith in God. May even this be blessed. Amen. Dear listener, on the 14th of September, two weeks into the church calendar, which began on the 1st of September, we celebrate the feast of the finding and universal exaltation of the precious and life-giving cross. Our participation in the liturgical services clearly reveals the greatness of this major feast, the vivid theological imagery of the hymns, the triumphant procession of the cross, and the repetition of of the familiar victorious dismissal hymn Soson Kyrie Don Laonsu, Save, O Lord, Your People. September is not the first time in the year that we hear this hymn. Midway through Great Lent, our Church Fathers, in all their wisdom, have also dedicated a Sunday to the commemoration of this feast. The cross was lifted up as an encouraging and inspiring signpost during Lent and in anticipation of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Moreover, the placing of the feast on the 14th marks exactly 40 days after the 6th of August, when we commemorated the transfiguration of our Lord on Mount Tabor. This deliberate placement reminds us of the intimate connection between Christ's glory and his crucifixion. In fact, during the first 14 days of August, it was also customary in Byzantine Constantinople to take the precious cross of Christ in procession throughout the city and place it in the church for veneration by the faithful. According to the Greek orologion, this custom rose from the physical health-related needs of the people, as illnesses were common during August. 
perhaps more than previously, this year we can appreciate both the physical and spiritual significance of the Holy Cross in our lives as a source of healing and strength. However, first let us consider the historical and biblical basis for the Holy Cross. We will begin by looking through the lens of the hymnody of the feast. After all, hymnography is the inspired writings of our church fathers, intended for our ears and our mouths, for understanding and use in worship. The scope of the matins and liturgy hymns and readings is the whole history of mankind. In the Katavasias, Adam's fall from paradise is placed in our minds beside the crucified Christ. O Trismacariston Xilon, O thrice blessed wood, on which Christ was stretched out, the King and Lord, through whom fell the one who deceived by a tree, caught in a trap set by God, who was nailed to you in the flesh, granting peace to our souls. Throughout Matins, our eyes are opened by the images, the prefigurations of the cross that the Old Testament is filled with. In the Kathismata we hear how Joshua of Nun, formerly Prodiatipu Mysticos, mystically prefigured the figure of the precious cross of you, my Saviour, by extending his arms in cruciform, O Master. At that time, the sun stood still until he destroyed the enemies who opposed you, the only God. Now the same sun conceals its light as it sees you on the cross, destroying the might of death and despoiling Hades, O Lord. And again, in the Katavasias, Stavron Haraxas Mosis, a cross Moses engraved, with his rod he made an upright stroke and parted the Red Sea for Israel, who went across on foot. Then, with a transverse stroke, he struck the waters and united them over Pharaoh's chariots, thus portraying on the sea the invincible weapon. For this, let us sing praise to Christ our God, for he has been glorified. The rod of Aaron is seen as typifying the mystery of the cross, formerly lifeless, then blossoming forth. Jonah's three days in the belly of the sea creature is also chanted, reminding us of Christ's resurrection on the third day. Even the Mother of God is woven into the mystery of Christ's salvific crucifixion. O Theotokos, you are a mystical garden, and though untilled, you brought forth the Christ by whom the life-giving tree of the cross is planted in the earth. At its exaltation now, we worship him and magnify you. Reaching the Ex Apostilarion, a hymn, which prompts us with the feast-related reasons why we should join all that breathes to praise the Lord in the hymn that follows, Pasapnoi in Asatoton Kirion, it is proclaimed with simple words how the cross has become the symbol of Christians. Stavros, the cross, is the guardian of the whole earth. The cross is the beauty of the church. The cross is the strength of kings. The cross is the support of the faithful. The cross is the glory of angels and the wounder of demons. With these words, we will leave the Madden service for the moment and turn to the historical account of the commemoration of the cross. The cross is the strength of kings. The story of St. Constantine's vision of the cross in the sky is imprinted in the memory of every Christian. And Tutonica, by this sign you shall conquer, was the message from the heavens. And indeed, the cross won Constantine victory over the Western world. Following the Edict of Milan, 
the halt on persecutions and the spread of Christianity, Constantine sent his mother to Jerusalem in 326 to venerate the places sanctified by Jesus' presence and to find the Holy Sepulchre and the Precious Cross. For a while, her search remained fruitless. The perseverance of the pious empress and the advice of an elderly Hebrew named Jude eventually led her to the pagan temple of Venus, previously erected by the Emperor Hadrian to deter the Christians from venerating the sacred ground of Golgotha. The tomb of the Lord was excavated. Three crosses were found, three nails, and the board with Pilate's inscription, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. To determine which of the three was the life-saving cross of Christ, the Patriarch of Jerusalem, Makarios, touched the crosses to a dying woman who was immediately healed by the true cross. According to the Synaxarion, the crowds of Christians who gathered around the events taking place compelled Patriarch Makarios to elevate the cross so that all could cast their eyes on it. A solemn yet joyful procession carried the cross to the local church, and after mounting the umbo, Makarios lifted up the cross to the chorus of Christians chanting Kyrie eleison. Remedying the previous emperor's building plans, Constantine gave the orders for a church in honour of the resurrection of Christ to be built over the site. It was consecrated nine years later, on the 13th of September, 335. The following day, the 14th, was established as the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross. There is another historical event that is coupled with the feast, the restoration of the cross into Christian hands. In the year 614, after besieging Jerusalem, the Persian Sassanid Emperor Khosrow II carried off the Holy Cross. Fourteen years later, the cross was reclaimed by the Byzantine Emperor Heraclius and returned to Jerusalem. Today, relics of the true cross exist all over the world for the veneration of the faithful, with the largest surviving piece kept at the monastery of Kutlumusil on Mount Athos. Returning to the service and the prescribed readings. In the liturgy, the epistle reading is an excerpt from the first chapter of St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. The Apostle proclaims the new significance of the instrument previously associated with punishment. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. The Gospel reading is the Passion of Christ from the book of John. The reading is an opportunity for us to relive our Lord Jesus Christ's suffering and death on the cross outside of the dedicated Holy Week. Naturally, together with the historical finding and elevation of the cross, we also remember our Lord's sacrifice for the salvation of all mankind. For this reason, a strict fast is also prescribed on this day. We live in times of comfort. Suffering is avoided. Living within such a society, it is no surprise that hardships like the current pandemic easily bring upon us despondency and despair. Here is what the late elder Frem of Arizona had to say, his advice to his spiritual children. About the grief that torments you, I have told you many times 
that it is your cross, which our Jesus has given to you, so that you may become an imitator of him and not be a stranger to his love. For whoever loves him sincerely follows him, not only to Mount Tabor, where the glory of his divinity appeared, in other words, not only at the time of his visitation through his sweet grace and joy, but follows him also on the uphill climb to Golgotha and his crucifixion, in other words, also in the absence of his grace and in sorrowful occurrences, which produce distress, pain, despair, perplexity, labour and sweat. Precisely then is the inner man tested, and it is revealed what he is, counterfeit or true, skilled or unskilled, captain or sailor. Precisely then are our intentions tested, and he who is courageous and patient is rewarded internally by the visitation of God through the increase of grace. In this manner, the Christian is trained in the spiritual struggle until he reaches the end and finds rest. Struggle philosophically. Carry your cross with patience and joy until you bring it to the place of the skull, to the tomb, so that our Jesus may give you the resurrection. He who bears his cross for the love of Christ will be raised by the Lord on the last day. How long will our life be? The time of our death is unknown, whereas patience will be rewarded eternally. This cross of grief you are bearing has already given you very much, and how much more it will give you. And yet you do not see this, for God wisely hides it from you for your benefit. Entreat God continuously to give you patience and thank Him with knowledge. Then you will be able to endure joyfully, awaiting your salvation through these afflictions. Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of the precious and life-giving cross, have mercy on us and save us. Amen. Saints of the Week Saint Sophia and her three daughters On the 17th of September, our Church commemorates Saint Sophia and her three daughters, Pistis, Elpis and Alapi. In Greek, Sophia means wisdom, whilst her daughters' names translate as faith, hope and love. These holy martyrs dwelt in Italy during the reign of Hadrian. They came of a rich and devout family, and their mother Sophia brought them up in the faith, hope and love of the name she had given them. An official named Antiochus denounced them for openly confessing their faith, and word of their admirable manner of life reached the emperor, who hearing they were in Rome, sent soldiers to bring them before him. Realising that they would be taken before the Emperor, the Holy Virgins prayed fervently to the Lord, asking that he give them the strength not to fear torture and death. When the Holy Virgins and their mother came before the Emperor, everyone present was amazed at their composure. Summoning each of the sisters in turn, Hadrian urged them to offer sacrifice to the goddess Artemis. The young girls remained unyielding. Considering their tender years, the emperor was amazed at how steadfast in the faith Sophia's daughters were, and thinking it was only by supporting one another that they were able to hold their own against him, he put them to the question separately. Bistis, who was 12 years old, was brought in first. 
she boldly dismissed the tyrant's flatteries and depreciated his shameless deeds and vain plots against the Christians. The infuriated emperor had her stripped, mercilessly beaten, and her breast torn off, where milk, not blood, flowed forth. The other tortures she endured were to no avail, for she was protected by the power of God. When at last they came to strike off her head, her mother Sophia encouraged her to accept with joy the death that would unite her to Christ. Elpis, who was ten years old, was brought in next. Confessing Christ as steadfastly as her sister, she was beaten and cast into a raging furnace, but its fire went out on touching her, in whom love of God burnt with a fiercer flame than material fire. After many other tortures, she too died by the sword, giving thanks to God. Agapi, the third of the sisters, was then summoned before the emperor, whom anger had maddened. She was only nine years old, but of the same steadfast mind as her sisters. She was hung on a gallows and chained so tightly that her limbs were broken by the bonds. She was then thrown into a furnace, from which she was delivered by an angel, and finally beheaded. Her mother Sophia rejoiced to see her daughters so gloriously making their way to the abodes of the righteous, but, overwhelmed by earthly sorrow, she gave back her soul to God a few days later. The three martyrs, Faith, Hope and Love, were daughters of Saint Sophia. Just like the virtues of Faith, Hope and Love are the offspring of wisdom, the true wisdom which comes from above and gives birth to the fear of God. As we read in Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The three daughters of Saint Sophia, 12, 10 and 9 years old respectively, had all the virtues as indicated by their names and were full of faith and hope in Christ and love towards God and man. And their mother was Sophia in both word and deed. She had true love, which is greater than natural love, the so-called mother's instinct, which is why she sought out the spiritual interests of her children. She encouraged them to proceed towards death for the love of Christ, knowing that in this way she would ensure for them true life, since the righteous live unto the ages, as we read in the Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 1. Saint Sophia's actions shows the measure of love she had for her children, who were gifts of God to the parents, who were co-workers with God in the work of creation. True love is selfless and does not seek a return, nor does it expect reciprocation. Parents love their children because they love God who gave them, and children truly love their parents if they are taught to love God. In the name of love, parents should not infringe upon the freedom of their children, nor can true freedom exist without love. What touches the love of children more than words is for parents to pray for them and to set the right example. Children who have experienced within their family true freedom and selfless love have learned to love 
and generously offer themselves to Christ and his church. Saint Sophia was a righteous parent in every sense of the word. She encouraged and allowed without imposing. She knew that her daughters belonged to God and she offered them. Love for God transcends a mother's pain. She believed in eternal life and lived with the hope of eternal good things. She was temporarily separated from her children to be reunited with them in the kingdom of God. She went above their grave and supplicated God to take her life to be near them. Saint Sophia had the assurance that her children existed, that they were alive and she would meet them and that she would see them again. Faith, hope and love were worthy children of their glorious mother. They were nursed with the guileless milk of faith, hope and love towards God, which is why they managed to realize the purpose of life, which is to be together with Christ in the kingdom of God, where life never ends. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of The Orthodox Journey. To keep up to date with our podcast, subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or head to orthodoxjourney.com where you can find even more Orthodox articles, talks, sermons and podcasts.